what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, American National Insurance, and Spiritless. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Before we get to the podcast, I want to share the story of three young women who are carving their own path in the beverage industry. They started a company called Spiritless. Their first product is called Kentucky 74, and it's a non-alcoholic bourbon. You can use it as the base for so many delicious mocktails or drink it by itself on the rocks. What I like to do is go halvesies, meaning you mix it with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail. I put a little honey, cinnamon, and an orange slice, and it is truly delicious. If you'd like to enjoy an evening cocktail with no guilt, you can use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most brilliant and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast is Misty Copeland. You can never please everyone. There's no, like, specific mathematical equation to create a perfect performance or anything. It's really about someone's opinion. And that's the beautiful thing about art. Misty Copeland is the principal ballet dancer for the American Ballet Theater, the first African-American woman to hold that role in the 75-year history of the theater. Her journey to this moment is an incredible one. She is a powerhouse and a superstar in the world of ballet. And Misty had to overcome so much to find her footing. Despite not starting ballet until the age of 13, Misty was considered a prodigy and didn't let anyone stop her from pursuing her passion. At her favorite restaurant in New York City, the Mermaid Inn, Misty shares the whole story of how she got started and where she's headed now. Please enjoy my interview with Misty Copeland. 
I'm on the Upper West Side of Manhattan today, on my way into the Mermaid Inn, a neighborhood favorite. I'm meeting one of the most trailblazing creatives of our time. I can't wait for you to meet Misty Copeland. Misty, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. So this is one of your favorite spots. Yeah. I used to live on the Upper West Side too. Okay. The Upper West Side is one of those New York City neighborhoods that Misty and I have in common. In some ways, it's exactly what you'd expect in the Big Apple, the hustle, the bustle, the horns. But in other ways, the Upper West Side is its own unique Manhattan neighborhood, sandwiched between two of the city's best-known green spaces, Central Park and Riverside Park. It is a stroller-pushing, dog-walking, family-friendly neighborhood with some of the best cultural experiences in the world, thanks in part to Lincoln Center, home to the American Ballet Theater. Just a quick cab ride away is Misty's favorite restaurant. First of all, thank you for taking me to the Mermaid Inn. Oh yes, welcome. <laughs> so this is sort of like a quintessential New York neighborhood joint, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> what is it about this place that you love so much? Uh, there's so much charm. I have so many memories like in different spaces within this <laughs> restaurant that it feels like different restaurants. <laughs> and also who you were when you arrived in New York yeah. and probably came here for the first time yeah. is very different. Very different. There's a reason the Mermaid Inn is thriving. Grabbing a bite here is like dining at the shore right in the middle of Manhattan. The Mermaid Inn was originally intended to be kind of a spot on rendition of a uh, casual seafood chat and uh, it's morphed a little bit to be slightly more sophisticated, but at its heart, it's, it's a neighborhood restaurant specializing in casual seafood. The Mermaid Inn, open since 2009, is both casual and sophisticated. Barnwood accents, whitewashed brick, and pine beams on the ceiling add to the simple Cape Cod ambiance, letting the fresh, sustainable seafood do the talking. The menu is a seafood lover's dream, lobster rolls, fish tacos, smoky clam chowder served in a red enamel mug. And you can't beat the price of their oyster happy hour. They're gonna come back here because you remember their name, you remember about their vacation, you remember where they went to school, and you had some kind of connection. Those types of connections are what the Mermaid Inn is counting on to keep their business alive in a time that's never been harder for New York restaurants. We went into COVID with seven restaurants. We closed the original Mermaid Inn after 17 and a half years. We closed the Mermaid Oyster Bar after 11 years on McDougal Street. We were building a new Mermaid Bistro and we just gave the keys back to the landlord. So we went in with seven restaurants. If we come out with three, I'd be very, very, very happy. So it has been devastating to say the least. It's devastating. In this sophisticated seafood shack over clam chowder, oysters, kale salad and lobster rolls I'm digging in with a woman who is changing the face of ballet. A dance prodigy whose childhood didn't look anything like a ballerina fairy tale. Born in Missouri and raised in San Pedro, California, Missy Copeland spent her childhood bouncing between motel rooms with her five siblings and single mother, sometimes sleeping on the floor, constantly on the move. At age 13, she tried dance on the basketball court at the Boys and Girls Club, and the rest is history. When did you first know that you wanted, and, and not only had a talent for ballet, but really wanted to pursue it with all you had? It happened 
immediately, like simultaneously. Really? Um, once I discovered ballet, it was like, okay, you're a prodigy and you don't have a lot of time. I mean, I was 13 years old, which in classical which is ballet is late. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people laugh about that. They're like, really? <laughs> you're <laughs> right. 13 years old, <laughs> barely a teenager. <laughs> um, but uh, immediately my teacher saw that I had a future and that this was something I could do as a career, which my family, mm. it was so foreign to all of us. It didn't really mean anything when she said that because we couldn't even imagine what that world looked like. I had never heard classical music. I had no idea what the Metropolitan Opera House was. <laughs> <laughs> Far from that. I mean, I didn't even know what the Los Angeles Music Center was. I just kind of went with things. Tell us about your childhood. What was it like? It was the opposite of ballet. It was, <laughs> it was chaos. It was instability. It was constantly moving, not often having a home, not often having food on the table. Um, so I I think that I just didn't have anything that I could really rely on. Mm. So I just feel like I was trying to create my own sense of stability um, from a young age and ballet fascinating. just fed it. And I was craving something like that in my life and, and not only was it creative and gave me a, a sense of confidence and beauty, mm. but, um, but it was disciplined. So, you know, so the, the discipline and the rigor mm -hmm. is what a lot of people can't Run away handle. from. <laughs> right. A lot of people can't handle that intense like discipline. More. But for you, not only did you have the talent and the yeah. skill, but you yeah. absolutely adored the discipline. Am I reading it's this correctly? It's so rare that that would happen, but yes. yes. Ah, the oh, oysters. thank you. <laughs> Asking you shall receive, Misty. Thank you oh, that's so much. Thank you very really? much. Is there a secret to this chatter? Uh, <laughs> not that we will divulge. <laughs> it's going to stay a secret. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I definitely didn't have a lot of this amazing food when I was growing up. <laughs> and I think I definitely, like, I value home and I value, like, eating and food in a way that I maybe is not normal or, mm. or usual. For me, food is a celebration. Yeah. And I feel like life should be celebrated every day. Yeah. Let's see. Mm. Let's give this a taste. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wow. very smoky. Mm-hmm. It's so good. There's some bacon in there. Mm -hmm. That is delicious. That's wow. so good. At age 13, discovering ballet gave Misty more than just a daily regimen. It gave her a permanent home. Her teacher, Cynthia, knew Misty had a gift and invited her to live with her to train and grow her talent. So I'm fascinated by this. <laughs> you leave your family to move in with your ballet teacher. Mm -hmm. You are loving the discipline and the rigor of ballet. Um, it might be scary to another child, yeah. but for you, it didn't feel that way at all. No, um, again, so much of my time with Cynthia, who was my teacher, was spent training. She pulled me from public school and I was doing independent studies, um, so homeschooling, and I would be in the ballet studio probably from like 1.30 in the afternoon until like eight o'clock at night. Wow. And I was taking maybe three ballet classes a day. I would start out with like 
the three and four year olds. And meanwhile, I'm 13 years old. I mean, I did. <laughs> You'd look, be in the class with the three yeah, and four year olds. Yeah. Really? I really needed to learn the basics, and yeah. there there are no shortcuts in ballet. So at, when you're 13 and you're in with the three and four year olds, what was that like? Was it funny to you, or was it? I didn't think anything of it. Really? I was getting the information that I needed to get, and mm. that was what was so vital to me. My teacher was constantly showing me videos in particular of American Ballet Theater. So mm -hmm. I was watching old mm -hmm. footage of Gelsie Kirkland and Mikhail Baryshnikov mm -hmm. and Angel Cray and Paloma Herrera and, mm -hmm. and she took me to CABT when I was 15 years old. It was the first time I saw it, ballet live. And I remember that was the moment that I knew I would dance for ABT. You did. I was like, that that was it. You that visualized was, it, you saw yes, it, you said that's gonna be yes, me. Yeah. And so it was shocking to my whole family, I think. <laughs> Because I was such an introvert, yes. Um, and being, you know, I was the, the fourth of six children, and my mother was a single parent. Yes. Um, and so it was really easy for me to just hide in between my siblings. Armed with raw talent and a dedicated teacher, Misty made up for lost time in the dance world. Within three months of taking that first class, she was dancing on point. Just a year later, she was performing professionally, and at age 15, she took first place in the Music Center Spotlight Awards, a California-based competition that awards scholarships in the arts. Misty's teacher kept her focused on one company, the American Ballet Theater, a New York-based dance company that's been around since 1939 and is considered one of the most prestigious companies in the world. In 2001, she joined American Ballet Theater and then made history, becoming the first black female principal dancer. I just celebrated my fifth anniversary um, this, this spring, and it's probably taken five years for it to like sink in. Really? <laughs> yeah. We'll have more from our delicious meal in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. 
Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers. Now back to our conversation. I mean, I think my teacher did a really great thing with focusing me on ABT Mm -hmm. um, because she knew that for me as a young black girl, there weren't a lot of options. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something that I was aware of, that this was a very white world that I was entering into. Like I grew up with my mother making it very clear that you're a black girl and that's mm. how the world is going to see you that's mm. how they're going to they're going to treat you because of the, your color of your skin mm-hmm. but then i entered the ballet world and it was like like that was the farthest thing from my mind mm. you know i was 29 when i was given my first principal role in a, in a full-length classical ballet which was firebird mm. um, that's usually if a dancer doesn't get that opportunity by the time they're in their early to mid-twenties, then it most likely is not going to happen. If you aren't familiar with the world of ballet, the principal dancer is the highest rank within a professional dance company. The principal dancer is usually paid more. Their photos are in the programs. Their names are in larger type. They are the star of the show. I was given all in one season, you know, the lead in Swan Lake, uh, Firebird, Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. Like, I was doing every role and more than I'd ever dreamed of. But I also felt like this sense of like family, like everyone who'd ever worked so hard as a black dancer had paved the way for me to be in this position. So it didn't feel like it was just me getting that promotion. And how significant it was, not just for you, but for every black dancer that had come Mm -hmm. before you and every black dancer that will come after you, right? How inspiring you are. I have a platform that I've worked very hard to build, mm-hmm. and but it doesn't mean I'm the only one. It doesn't right. mean that I should be given all the praise of every black dancer's mm-hmm. efforts. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why I often, when you know people kind of just see me as this one person they put up on this pedestal, it doesn't feel right always. I understand what it means and that I do deserve it, right. but not all of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, more food. Yay. Yay, thank you. Oh my gosh, wow. you're I'm going to keep my chowder. I'm going to keep oh. it too. Oh, this looks so good. That looks good. great. To, thank you so much. Wow. Too. Thank you. Five years into her historic role, Misty has made her mark. She's danced everywhere from on top of Prince's Purple Piano in Madison Square Garden. Ladies and gentlemen, Misty Cole. To the stage of the Metropolitan Opera House to an appearance on Sesame Street. She was in the movie The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, even getting her own Barbie doll. She's landed endorsement deals with American Express, Coach, Dr. Pepper, and an unforgettable Under Armour campaign that spread her name beyond traditional dance circles. Dear candidate, thank you for your application to our ballet academy. Unfortunately, you have not been accepted. You lack the right feet, Achilles tendons, turnout, torso length, and bust. You have the wrong body for ballet. Misty has written books, hosted a master class, and was appointed by President Obama to the President's Council on Sports and Nutrition. 
She's made the cover of Time magazine, been featured on 60 Minutes, and has millions of social media followers. But just like any high-performing athlete, there's the rigorous training that no one sees, the 12-hour days in the studio, and there's the wear and tear it can take on the body and the spirit. Can you take me to your most defining, shining moment mm-hmm. as a ballerina, the one you're most proud of? Oh, um, oh, that's so hard. Um, well, definitely Firebird is up there. Yeah. But as incredible as that evening was, I remember being so upset with my performance. <laughs> well, you were in a lot of pain. <laughs> I was. But I would say there have been many shows of, of Romeo and Juliet that I feel have been like defining moments for me as a ballerina. With La Scala in Milan, um, dancing in that theater in Italy, doing Juliet with Roberto Bolle, who's like the biggest superstar there. Yeah. And um, and he's older than me and someone I've looked up to my entire career. And so I just never imagined I, this little black girl from San Pedro would be dancing with Roberto Bolle mm. at La Scala as his Juliet. Wow. Um, that to me was like a moment where I was like, I'm a ballerina. <laughs> yeah, magical. When Misty performed Firebird, it was a defining moment for her and a culmination of everything she had worked for. Unfortunately, the stress had taken its toll. I mean, the pain was so severe that it hurt to stand. Wow. Let alone, I mean, Firebird is known for its jumping and yeah. leaping. <laughs> By that point, the fact that I had been cast in this role, my manager and I did so much work, like going into the black communities, like working specifically with black media, um, to get the word out mm-hmm. that like this is your home too, the Metropolitan yes. Opera House. Wow. And that night that I performed the Firebird, it was the first time that we'd seen more than half of the house full of black and brown people. Wow. And that's what we did it for. And that's why I wanted to push through that injury because I knew that I needed to do that show. Um, the next morning I came in and I was like, I'm done. I wouldn't know until I pulled out of the season after my first show of the Firebird um, in New York City that I had six stress fractures to my tibia. Oh. Um, two of the six stress fractures were called dreaded black line fractures. Oh. And so they were almost full breaks. Wow. So, you know, the doctor's kind of like, thank God your leg didn't crack in half. It could have at any point of landing, you know, during a performance or a rehearsal. Um, and what was that like for you? It was devastating. I think mostly because there were so many people that flew in from all over the world to see this. Whenever I have to pull out of a show, that's the first thing I think of. It's not like, oh, my leg might be broken. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, like there are people that don't have the money and that spent the money on a ticket to be a part of something that, you know, is bigger than them, that's bigger than me. You know, and so that's that's mostly like what I think of whenever I end up with an injury. <laughs> the pressure of being this role model <laughs> is is very real, and it has been very real for many, many, many years for you. When I think about the Firebird, I think about Maria Tallchief. You know, as um, 
as a Native American mm -hmm. woman in New York City Ballet doing that role mm -hmm. that she made iconic. I think yes. about the dance theater of Harlem. They had their firebird that they would do, and I just remember these billboards of these beautiful brown women. And so when I think about the firebird, I think of these women of color. And so it was, it just, there were so many meanings to me doing that role. Yes. Um, but again, it was also an opportunity for, you know, for people to come to the theater and not have to wait until the third act to see me. And, you know, little girls in the audience, you can hear her going, is that Misty? Which one is she? <laughs> I mean, even with the oh, firebird, my flock of birds come out before me, and I remember like w they came out, and everyone was like going crazy, and they were like, "Which one? Which one is she? Which one is she?" Aww. And I'm like, "Wait, it's not yet, not yet. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming. coming. Give me a second. <laughs> and that was just an incredible moment, you yeah. know, to come out on stage, and the love I felt. Again, it just felt like it, it represented so many black dancers that should have had an opportunity to dance on the Metropolitan Opera House stage or should have had an opportunity to be a principal dancer. So that role was signified, defining. Yeah. Yes. It was defining mm -hmm. for you. I wouldn't be here in this place as a principal. I wouldn't be a principal dancer without that role, without Alexei Ramansky giving me an opportunity as an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> Just when her momentum was at its highest, Misty's stress fractures sidelined her. She needed surgery. She could barely walk, let alone dance. For eight months, with the help of a trainer she met at a local gym, Misty worked her way back to the stage. So what was the recovery of oh. that injury like, and what did that teach you? I think that's where I learned the most. With really? Every, with every injury that I've had, I come out a better and stronger dancer, which is, um, most people would not understand that. Yeah. I proved to the artistic staff that I can carry an entire ballet on my shoulders, which is the duty of a principal dancer. Right. And now I have to be responsible for my body, and I was convinced that I needed to come back better. That's the attitude yeah. of, of someone who is going to excel. I, that was one of the, like most like gratifying moments was my artistic director said, I don't understand how you seem like, like you've grown like artistically and in your upper body. And I was like, oh, that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> how have you handled criticism over the years? You can never please everyone. There's no like specific mathematical equation to create a perfect performance or anything. It's really about someone's opinion and that's the beautiful thing about art and has that taken you years to develop because that yes. is such a wonderful attitude to have so i think in the beginning uh you know not being like a known dancer a lot of the criticism i was getting was about things i couldn't control like mm -hmm. the color of my skin mm -hmm. the size of my breasts mm -hmm. the size of my muscles mm -hmm. and the mass of my it's just like ridiculous things right. and so i feel like that allowed me to have more of an understanding of like criticism and just not taking it to heart because mm -hmm. it's like why would someone even want to focus on something like that and be so awful like you don't belong you don't belong because you're black it, it, it actually puts all criticism into perspective right, exactly whether it's you know directed at your race exactly. directed at your size yes. directed at anything it actually makes you think about it differently yeah and I think that's why I'm at this place <laughs> with 20 years under her belt in New York City Misty Copeland officially calls herself a New Yorker. So we continued our conversation on the streets of the Upper West Side in her neighborhood, a place she loves. 
So what advice do you give to young girls who want to be ballerinas? Because I'm sure you get that question mm. all the time. I mean, I, I think it's important for them to know that you have to have the passion. You have to have the passion and the love for it because the hard work is so, it, it's so much more than I think a lot of people think about. So if you don't- The intensity, the, the intensity, discipline. The discipline. So if you don't truly, truly love it and want to do it, um, then you're really gonna struggle. Mm -hmm. Misty is working hard on new creative endeavors beyond ballet, including a documentary about homelessness in America, something she knows firsthand. What do you wish someone told you when you think of your 13-year-old self as a ballerina? Huh. To know that it's okay to not follow um, the exact path of someone else. Mm. Um, to be your own person. To, to be your own person, but to also know that like, you don't have to be seven years old and start out dancing. Anything is possible. Mm. <laughs> and that's kind of been my oh, experience that. Yeah. is that, you know, it's, um, I haven't followed anyone else's path and I've succeeded in my own way. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed my afternoon with Misty Copeland, a trailblazing dancer and athlete, and a truly charming dinner guest. I think what struck me most is what you didn't see during this meal. The hours and years of training, the pain, the discipline, all to make it look effortless, to entertain us, to transport us with her grace. What you can't see in this seemingly fairy tale story is the indomitable spirit, will, and grit that got her to this very moment. An out-of-this-world work ethic that brought her to superstardom and showed so many other girls that looked just like her what is possible. Thank you so much. This thank has been you. so wonderful. Thank you thing. so, thank you so much. This. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> it's been so great. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 